podcast where we delve into the mythos of dark academia one book at a time. I'm Sophie Waters. And I'm Sarah Purnell. And today we are looking at Babel by R.F. Kuang, brought to Oxford from Canton by a mysterious guardian. Orphan Robin Swift enters the place that powers the British Empire, Babel, the Royal Institute of Translation at Oxford University. His life of books, comforts and education feels like paradise, until it doesn't anymore, and the cracks of living under colonialism starts to feel more like a prison. But can a student of translation stand against the empire and win? Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to season five, everyone. We we're back. Yeah, we are. And we feel a bit rusty. Well, I do. Mm. I can't speak for Sarah. But <laughs> <laughs> so bear with us. But as usual, we will give you a little bit of admin before we get in into the nitty gritty so um there are a fair few content warnings for babel so i'm just going to highlight a few of the more prominent ones but don't forget to um kind of check the full list which you can find on story story graph um for all of them so we've got racism colonialism death murder gun violence xenophobia and general violence and we will also be talking about everything there are going to be spoilers galore um, and there's some pretty big twists and turns and events, I guess, in, in um, <laughs> this book that we're going to be talking about. So if you haven't quite finished the book, uh, do come back once you're finished, because otherwise it will be ruined. Completely ruined. <laughs> <laughs> um, and if you are new here, or even if you are not, and you have not signed up to our mailer... Our mailer is great. Um, and you... <laughs> what it is? Solid cell. Can't... <laughs> Can't say any more than that. And you can find us at the Dark... Uh-huh. Let me try that again. You can find us at the darkacademicalsbookclub.substack.com. Yeah, you can. <laughs> so th- those um, mailers go out um, every two weeks, just on, on a Tuesday, same day as the podcast episodes drop. And they're kind of like a companion piece to the episodes where we give you a bit of behind the scenes. We have a book club where you can read along with us. Um, yeah, it's good fun. We like it. And we mm. hope you do too. So, Babel. We babble. Al- we've already had the conversation. Are we Babel <laughs> or are we Babel? But we, we've settled on Babel. <laughs> and if, if you disagree, then, well... Is that not part of the whole discussion of the book? Mm. Babel just feels nice in your mouth. It does. And I feel like that's just, like, in reference to, like, the Tower of Babel and all of, like, the stories, like, you've heard that way. That's how I feel like I've heard it said. Same. So I feel like it might be, a, a like, a geographical distinction in pronunciation. Mm. But we are going with Babel for this episode. But you may choose to say it however you wish. Speaking of choice, why did we choose Babel? Because we're probably the only people who haven't read it yet. <laughs> yeah, it was, I mean, it's kind of a big deal last year, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but also, I mean, to be fair, I think we, we both wanted to read it, but quickly earmarked it for the podcast. Yes, we did. We were saving it. <laughs> And I definitely think it's the kind of book that's like a season opener, isn't it? 
Hmm. Not just because it's nearly 600 pages. <laughs> it's a chunker. <laughs> we have got some chunky books on um, the lineup for this season. Yeah. And if you don't know everything that is coming up, that is all kind of detailed in our mailer and the mailer subscribers do get first dibs on that info. But we also have um, a rundown on our website, Books, Bags and Backpacks, which will be linked in all of the information for you to go and have a look at. Just why you need to sign up to the mailer, because it's great. Yeah. Exclusives. You could feel special. Because you are special. Exactly. Only if you sign up to the mailer. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So I think another thing about Babel is that it's got this, like the buzzwords about language and power and education. Like they're immediately dark academia topics, aren't they? Yes. So that's why we kind of very quickly bookmarked it for the podcast. Um, Yeah. Shall shall we get into it? Let's do it. Let's go. Season five. Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) That was obnoxious. I won't say that again. (laughs) Let's go. (laughs) I accidentally became a frat boy for a second there. Okay, that frat boy that that we saw at Disney. Oh no! Let's go every every five minutes. Anyway, I digress. Oh, we were too tired for that. <laughs> <laughs> that was tough. Okay, so back on topic. As ever, we have our list of tropes that we think make up a dark academia title that we are going to kind of evaluate the novel against. If you are new and you haven't encountered these tropes before, we do have an introduction to Dark Academia episode. If you scroll right down to the beginning of our library of episodes, you can get all of the info there and see how we kind of came up with this list. But without further ado, would you like to take us into the first one? I shall. So the first one is a higher education setting, often on campus and usually elite or exclusive in some way couldn't get a bigger tick (laughs) (laughs) yeah oxford and oxford university and a special elite section of oxford as well it's elite on elite it is yeah so it's like the is it the instant no the international institute of translation Mm. and it's a special tower in the oxford university campus um and it's it's so elite that when you join this translation institute, they take a vial of your blood and your blood is linked into the wards of this building. That yes. means, you know, you have to be literally blood marked in order to be able to get in and out and access uh, the knowledge that this tower holds, basically. Something's just occurred to me. Yeah. Why we don't have like secret society or uh, like listed as a trope we don't do we we really should (laughs) but well especially if you like think i know the secret history it's not a secret society but it's very like but it is present in a lot isn't it yeah okay you know what let's (laughs) let's add it in see we're we're working on the fly here (laughs) there we go it's 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 officially in the tropes now Hmm. And I will do the admin amendments later. (laughs) But yeah, it definitely has a higher education setting. It's probably, it's probably, if you're going to go for any kind of peak elite 
setting, you mm-hmm. can't get any higher than Oxford. No, it's probably the most prestigious university in England, isn't it? Yeah. And, and we did talk we did talk about this a little bit, didn't we? Because like mm-hmm. this whole thing about Oxford being like the pinnacle of everything. And yeah. like it's as if you haven't got an elite education if it wasn't Oxford. Yeah. And I think but th- I think that is intrinsically tied into this yes. you know exclusionary elite this uh it has historical gravitas, doesn't it? It's yeah. It's such an old university and such big minds have come from there. It's kind of got this glamour about it. Um, and, you know, I know, especially going through like the UK education system, Oxbridge, so Oxford and Cambridge, hmm. like that's something that schools want you to do, isn't it? Like they want to put you on the Oxbridge track, you know? Yes. It's this, and it's, I guess it's equivalent to the Ivy League in america just on a much smaller scale and it's also a little bit crushing in the sense that like i know that i toyed with the idea before really kind of understanding Mm. the gravity of kind of what i might be taking on and i just remember like having meetings with teachers and then being like no and you know i was a a top tier student like there was nothing like academically that could have held me back other than the fact of my circumstances outside of academia. Yeah, exactly. Same here. Um, I know, like, academically, that could have been an option. But nothing about... Other than the actual city of Oxford, which I really like because it's beautiful, (laughs) like, (laughs) nothing else appeals to me about it because it... No. It just... Yeah, no thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I was happy in Bath, thank you. <laughs> I was happy in Marjon, yeah. Exactly. And you don't... I'm like, I have no qualms about the education that I received. No, me neither. And even if we'd have gone to Oxford because we don't have aristocratic parents, it's not like it would have changed anything about the education. No. And what you do after it. And I think that's something that's tapped into quite a lot here. Is yes. that everybody at Oxford, especially during this time period, because Babel is set, starts in 1834? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, everyone is there because they are rich enough to do so, or they have been, or they have received the patronage of someone who is powerful enough to get them there. Yeah. It's, it's not an equal opportunities place. No. And that very much encapsulates the dark academia, higher education setting, doesn't it? Mm. I think what's interesting, it's not necessarily to do with dark academia, but Mm. like what Babel has kind of changed my perspective on uh, fiction that kind of romanticises Oxford University. Because at first I was worried that this is what it was going to do with Oxford. And Mm. I think it very clearly turns it on its head by the end yeah um but there are a lot of works of fiction that are set at oxford university and they're just very twee and like uh yeah romanticized about this experience at oxford that was just it was difficult but easy breezy and it was very british and and, uh, i don't Mm. know i it, it kind of made me feel a bit ick about using it as a setting yeah. flippantly 
especially when you compare that to actual like lived experiences of going to Oxford if you're not from the aristocracy that's a new one (laughs) (laughs) from the aristocracy that it's an unpleasant experience yeah because everybody makes you feel like you're not supposed to be there yeah and And you you know you don't have the means to have the same experiences as everyone else like you can't afford to go on the trips you can't afford good accommodation you can't afford to bloody well live let alone Yeah. (laughs) yeah definitely and I think that's reflected in Obviously, a much more heightened version that Robin and Rami and um, Letty and Victoire experience at the university. Shall we jump into your uh, newly added trope to the rundown of the secret society while we're talking about the uni? Yes. So there is one in Babel. There is one. There's two. Technically, because well, cause Babel itself, like the, the Institute itself is sort of like a secret society, isn't it? It's okay, like, yeah, I guess. Yeah, it's not because like... Because people don't, people don't know what they're doing there. They know what they're doing, but they don't mm. know what they're doing. And then obviously you have the, I want to say the Hermes Society. Oh, it was just Hermes. Or the Hermes. It was Hermes in the... Um... Hermes, oh, I think, is the brand. I, but that's why I liked it, because it made me feel fancy. <laughs> See, I was thinking more like the messenger god. I was thinking of I went bags. basic. <laughs> I went basic. You went lofty. I was like, bags? I, do you know Ooh. what? I think that's literally the difference between you reading it and me hearing it. Mm-hmm. Translation. Translation. Yeah, we're going to shout that quite a lot, I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now everyone's going to be laughing at me because they're like, <laughs> she thought it was a bag. No, it, uh, no not at all. Yeah. Just depends how you read it, doesn't it? But yeah, I I do agree with you. There's like, you have to be initiated into the tower, don't you? Like the whole ceremony with the blood and no one knows what goes on or what. You don't have access to the knowledge, to the, you know, the hundreds of years of knowledge and experimentation and opportunity that lives inside the tower. No. And it's not even until like your last year that you're even kind of shown the actual mechanics of it yeah which honestly i'm still a bit iffy on how it works like i I get it superficially yeah but like how does it work and i didn't fully understand like when one of the so so uh, let me try and explain it the magic system is you've got a silver bar it's got some kind of link in it that can break Mm -hmm. and then there's two matching words of the same kind of meaning, but it's it's a personal meaning. So really, it's like, so it'll be two different words in two different languages. Yeah. But the, the it's almost like the evocative feeling and um, emotion of it has to be the same. Yeah, because each person is kind of responsible for creating different types of matches because obviously the difference in experience and language and emotions so each each person each translator in in babel brings their own selves into the creation of these bars and i'm also not entirely clear on why particularly robin other than being the son of professor lovell yeah like what why why him and not like 
his next door neighbor and i don't think there is a reason other than it's like who you know yeah and because lovell kind of put it in place didn't he that robin would stay in canton for the yeah for the right amount of time to absorb as much um cantonese as possible so he has that yeah. that foundational chinese language understanding so he yes. can then force him to learn mandarin because you know canton cantonese was the wrong type of chinese for some arbitrary reason <laughs> um and then with english as well so that he can be the facilitator between those two languages but that was purely chance and yeah it could have it could have birth. been yeah opportunity of birth and i think that's really interesting what you said about it being the wrong kind of it was <laughs> the wrong kind of chinese i'm like well mm. <laughs> different like why specifically it needed to be mandarin and it was like with victoire and how they were like well how is like how is what you're learning useful oh. ebony's speaking her own language um <laughs> um yeah because in her final exam she even though she passes they're like well it's it's useless to us but she's like well it won't be useless to the people of haiti yeah because she is she creates a bar match connection thing in creole doesn't she yes and then you know but they they say well it works and it's great but we can't kind of examine you on that you have to do one in standard french yeah it's it's just that it's whole that the whole colonial thing of yeah we are telling you what's important and Cantonese is not important but Mandarin is yeah it's only it, because it's more useful for us in terms of trade and oppression. politics <laughs> and oppression yeah exactly yeah. it's 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 overwriting cultural significance and importance isn't it yes yeah I think another example of that I was going to mention it later but as we're talking about Canton. So I kind of was wondering, because you don't really hear Canton mentioned outside of historical fiction, so I wondered whether it had like, been renamed or something. Turns out Canton is a renamed version of a city that the Empire gave upon based on a mispronunciation of the Chinese name of the city. And they essentially just renamed it and that became the established name until it was changed back in oh no i didn't write this bit down (laughs) Uh... i did a lot of googling in this book i'm not gonna lie in 1918 it was changed back to um quenchao I tried really, really hard to get the correct pronunciation of that, so I apologise if that was still incorrect. Yeah. I mean, it's similar to... um, I think... Isn't Calcutta also mentioned? And that's a similar thing where Calcutta... uh, It's now Kolkata. Mm -hmm. um, And, like, Bombay is Mumbai in India. So it's that similar kind of westernized bastardization of pronunciations we're going that'll do yeah that happens with the names as well doesn't it yes and that's that is something that like is noticeable in our society as well like that still happens yes 
is people coming over to live um, in the UK and then picking themselves an English name. Yeah. I mean, it also, it still happens quite publicly even, like on television and, and such, where people are interviewing um, um, like other people from different cultures, different backgrounds, and they obviously have names from that origin and they don't bother to try and learn how to pronounce it properly. Yeah. Just because it's... And it's it... Just because it's not a natural cadence or a natural uh, pronunciation for our white bread English like <laughs> language. Yeah. But like, I think that act of like renaming and it's not, there's a difference between choosing a name for yourself because your name doesn't fit you or your yes. name doesn't fit your identity to changing your name to something to make other people's lives easier. Yeah. I mean, there are m- multiple points in, in the book where it's commented on how Robin if you didn't if he didn't tell people they wouldn't know that he wasn't english mm-hmm. that he has basically had his whole cultural identity erased yeah and he's... he should be proud of that like they're yeah. like oh wow i would never know that you were from you know f- oh sorry press buttons yeah i would never know that you were you were from canton or you know yeah cuz when when um Professor Lovell brings him to London. He's like, okay, choose a new last name. And mm. he's like, what? But we don't even find out till later that Robin isn't actually his name because he barely remembers his Chinese name. We know that, no, but yeah, we know that Robin isn't his name, don't we? Because he Do picks we? that too. Yeah. Oh, does he? Yeah, he picks that as well. We never find out what his um, original name was. Like his birth name. His birth the, name. The name his mother gave him, we never yeah, learn. No, we, we never learn her that. name either. No. That's a whole nother conversation about yeah. the position of women, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. T- tiny yeah. bit sidetracked there, as, as ever. <laughs> uh, yeah, so next up, we've got gold. Gold? Not quite gold. Gold. Uh, old Gothic architecture, which, yeah, yeah it's Oxford University. Like... It's not really described that often, though, I think, but because you just know it's there. Yeah, it's, it's implied, isn't it? It's the knowledge of that university. You say Oxford University and you get a very clear picture. Yeah. I would be interested to know if that is just from an English perspective or if that happens for other countries. Because obviously, like, if someone was to say Yale or Harvard, I'd have a very distinctive picture pop to mind without even a description. Or even Princeton, you know. So I would be really interested to know if that brings up similar connotations for people who don't live in the UK or aren't from the UK. Or people that haven't really been um, privileged enough to have any kind of uh, interaction with the higher education model. Yeah. So if if you do fall into any of those categories, we would love to know because I'm curious. But yeah, again, off track. Wow, my brain is a squirrel today. <laughs> well, old Gothic archi- architecture, tick. Absolutely. Um, so, a preoccupation with classical studies, Latin, Greek, literature, philosophy. Languages. Languages, yeah. And so, yes. Yeah. They have to learn Latin. They learn Latin and Greek, don't they? Because mm-hmm, I think there's a comment where they're all kind of telling each other what languages they specialise in. And Robin mm-hmm. says... 
Um, does he say Cantonese or does he say Mandarin? I'm not sure. I think he says Mandarin because that's what mm. he's kind of forced to take on, isn't it, when he yes. gets to England? So he says, you know, obviously his, uh, Mandarin and then he says uh, Latin and Greek and somebody laughs and says, oh, we all have Latin and Greek. Mm. Yeah, it's that kind of expected foundation, isn't it? Mm. I guess because a lot of Latin informs in English as a language. Yes. Um, but as is demonstrated endlessly throughout the novel, English is a melting pot of languages. Yeah. Just like the Empire did, we've taken bits and pieces from all over the world, smushed it together and made it our own. Yep. With no real acknowledgement of that. Um, and there's, there is a lot of etymology in the book. Yeah. I, I like it. I find it interesting. But sometimes it was a little bit alienating. Yeah. It, it became a bit info dumpy at times. And I was like, okay, I get... I get why this is here, but is it relevant to this moment right now? Yeah, I get you. I think I would have preferred to have kind of explored that along with the characters. Yeah. Um, whereas in some places it was more like a chunk out of a dissertation rather than uh, a piece of prose. Yeah, it was like, I made the effort to learn this thing, so I'm going to tell you. Yeah. Which in certain situations is fine. But I think there were, for me, I found that that happened quite a lot and I ended up not really connecting with the characters. So instead Mm. of, like, those preoccupations, those obsessions, they're normally very focused on the characters' obsessions yeah, and the characters' preoccupations. And while uh, Robin and everyone are preoccupied but they're, they're preoccupied with it because they're forced to be yeah it's not like a uh internal desire um for i mean for robin he says it over and over that he just wants to survive yeah definitely and he he, he wants to be there and do well in oxford because he wants the comforts that oxford yeah. provide him with and while that is a powerful motivator it's not the same kind of motivation in the terms of like Henry in the secret history where yeah. I mean very different circumstances yes, obviously yeah, but um, but speaking of the obsession element it's yes it's not quite a dark academia type of obsession or preoccupation mm. it's it feels almost more like authorial obsession or maybe obsessions a bit strong interest yeah. Or, and also making a point sometimes hmm. comes across a lot stronger. I tell you what, though. Mm-hmm. Murder. Oh, there was a surprising Ooh. amount of that at the end, wasn't there? there was a, there was a lot of murder happening. I mean, I, who was who actually survived this by the end? Victoire. Victoire, Letty, we assume... And that's it, I guess. I think the one that I don't want to, the one that I don't want to say amused me because that feels <laughs> wrong when we're talking about characters being off. Yeah. But Sterling and Griffiths. 
Yeah. Stand off at dawn. Do you know what I mean? They're like, pew, pew. Oh, they're both dead. Like, it was just ridiculous. And I think, again, that's the point. That mm. was the point of these two... I don't even know... I don't even know how to describe it, but, like, it's just these two kind of... It was just... It was almost caricatured. Yeah. I think I think the point as well is that it was... M- mean meaningless yes exactly it's mindless death much like those shootouts in like westerns where yeah it's just pointless like either both of you are gonna get hurt but either way someone's gonna get hurt and for what yeah but it's this like feel like they have to because that's what's expected of them I've got to admit, like, of all of the deaths, the only one that I was, like... This is going to sound so heartless, but I think it confirms, like, I didn't connect emotionally to this book because there was... It was too much about the cleverness for me. Um, And I like cleverness, but I also want to feel things more. Yeah. And the only one that really bothered me was Rami. Oh, Rami. The unrequited love of Rami. Oh, my God. But also just because I think he was probably one of the ones that I feel like we got the most personality from. He had lots of different layers and levels. Yeah, he really came alive on the page in a way that even Robin didn't for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I was I was really sad about Remy. Remy it was also even. just that bit where Robin's saying to him... Like, you know, Letty Letty really fancies you, basically. Why are you not doing anything about it? And he's like, why do you think? Yeah. I'm like, exactly, why do you think? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a very complicated uh, <laughs> kind of a situation that boils into, doesn't it? Yeah. It's... I'm not entirely sure I follow the logic of that, but... I don't know. Letty was a disappointment. <laughs> Letty was a giant disappointment, but Letty... I know we're jumping ahead again, but Letty was very much that uh, embodiment of... Um, especially... I think especially when she was still with the friend group. Mm-hmm. Um, she is that kind of embodiment of the white man kind of standing up for things that they don't really know about and even though it means well it doesn't always do good yeah because they they don't truly understand it's it's still that kind of element of okay well i still know best and i agree on this part so i'm going to support this part but when it goes beyond that belief or something in that they don't understand then that's when it all goes to shit basically (laughs) yeah and it's also about like the what is happening at that current moment it's like is it appropriate to say something or do something right now because there will be no repercussions for her no but for the others it can put them in imminent danger yeah absolutely it's it's a life-changing decision for the others and then, obviously, later on, she's essentially on the other side. 
on the wrong side on the wrong side yeah. kind of telling them that they sh- you know just they should just toe the line and they'll be fine mm. um just bow their heads and say sorry and yeah go back to m- making silver bars for the empire i do think that whole storyline with letty made a really powerful point over um personal circumstances versus systemic oppression which i know is something that kind of came to me and i was like oh that's i know that's something that i've slipped on before as well yeah um so that was that was a really powerful kind of wake-up call in that Mm. in that situation i think that's was really important really cleverly done actually Mm -hmm. with with letty in that way but i was so disappointed in her (laughs) Oh, I was so angry. Do you know what? I actually ended up rewinding the audiobook because I was like, I must have heard that wrong. I didn't hear it wrong. Mm. Like, it was... Yeah, that was sad. I actually, as well, talked about characters as I really liked Victoire, but I wanted more. Like, I feel yes. like she would have been such an interesting character to, like, sit with for a bit longer. Because mm. do we... Do we get a tiny segment with her yeah well she does the epilogue and we get oh, yeah. we get oh, her yeah. back story don't yes. we i just couldn't remember but now i remember yeah but yeah. i i just yeah i thought she was really uh, she's very interesting yeah and uh adds another dimension of not only a person of color in england a woman of color in england yeah at that time yeah mm. I, I did like her a lot um, but yes, murder. Lots of murder. Lot, lots of that. Big dick. <laughs> so much murder. <laughs> I mean, dark, moody and or haunting vibe. Definitely dark and moody. Hmm. Can't really I mean, not be with all of that murder. I'd say haunting vibe only from not while you're reading it, but like it gives you a lot to th- it to think about. Yeah. I think that last bit is quite haunting when it's almost like the countdown isn't it um for the destination yeah uh that when when you're with robin as he goes through everything that's quite yeah catches you a bit it caught me anyway i think as well the bit little bit before where he's he doesn't he he asks for people to stay with him says i you don't have to but i need i do i will need help Mm. um and it's just the gravity of that decision, which obviously weighs on Victoire as well, because she wants to stay, but also wants to live. Yeah. She she knows it's not, it's not her... That's not her parting act, is it, for this cause? No. Yeah. There are definitely moments in there, and as well when he's grieving Rami. Yeah. I think for me... I really struggled to engage with this book like fully mm-hmm. until about the 300 page mark, which is a little bit worrying <laughs> for a book this long, but I got to about there and I was like, then I was starting to actively engage in wanting to read it and keep reading it. But yeah, it I took think a it's, long time. <laughs> it's very much like two halves, isn't it? The novel. Yeah. It's, it's almost two different novels, really. It does change pace and it's very slow, I think, at the beginning. Yes. It's it's very wordy and quite There's slow. There's a lot of setup 
I yes. think. And I think I think it made the ending a lot more impactful, but I think if I was reading this not for the podcast, I might have put it aside for a bit and maybe not even gone back to it for a very long time. Yeah, I think I would have been the same. I think the the change from like the quiet contemplation to the full out revolution action murder shooting that was quite jarring it was it was like oh we're suddenly doing this now like i actually flipped back a bit because i was like did i miss a chunk (laughs) but i suppose maybe sometimes there isn't a kind of gradual build-up when there's a call to action yeah it's now and ever isn't it yeah so we're doing this now we're doing it (laughs) yeah and i guess they triggered 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 is not a word and I guess they, they triggered it by the murder of Lovell, didn't they? Like, yeah. there was no... There were very few options from there. Yeah. And learning, and then learning about the war plans. So, yeah, a dark, moody vibe, but not necessarily haunting in the... Not in the traditional gothic-y, dark academia sense. No. It's, like, emotionally haunting in sections. Yes. Yeah. So then we have hero worship of a particular figure or author. Um, I don't think that really applies um, here. No. There's there's the, the kind of the worship of Babel as an institution. Yeah, and I suppose at first there's kind of like this uh, mystery saviour complex almost about Professor Lovell until yeah. he kind of reveals himself to be a shit. Um, <laughs> yeah. Very quickly reveals himself to be a shit, mm. to be honest. And I think at least, I think at least, thank goodness, Robin sees that quite early. Yeah, definitely. I think. Um, go on, sorry. I think also with Griffin. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. But again, that quickly kind of dies off, even though it was misguided. His kind of change in perspective on Griffin. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like it was all. It was very. It's very complex. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It's, and I guess it changed as both Robin and Griffin and the situation changed. Like there was no yeah. way for that, their relationship to remain on an even keel kind of thing. I thought Sterling was really funny in the sense that he was a bit like, uh, did you ever watch Blackadder? No. So there was a character, <laughs> let me just double check his name. Oh yeah. There was a character <laughs> called Lord Flashheart in Blackadder. <laughs> and he would just come like, he would just essentially come in through the ceiling or something and just be like, hands on his hips, like, woof. Like, very much. <laughs> um, like like the, uh, I've never read one, but I've seen, like the Flashman. There's a series of books called Flashman and it's like this kind of colonial white man um like this hero um okay. yeah and it's just very much that sterling came across very much like that but apparently that idea broke broke my internet <laughs> <laughs> it's okay we, we won't mention him too much just in case he's got it out for you yeah okay fair enough i've never heard of those <laughs> they're just always in a charity shop you'll always find a flashman book in a charity okay. shop okay fair enough reason. <laughs> trash trash uh, 
Okay, so next up we have old money, which will collide with new money or no money. Yes. Yes, definitely. However, within the group, it's not a barrier. No. Or an obstacle. It's mostly between the babblers Mm -hmm. um, and the rest of Oxford University and Britain at large. Yes. Because it... But also, like, in in agreeing to be, you know, for, well, they don't really agree. They don't really have a choice. But in being forced to be part of Babel, they no longer have any money worries. No, that's true. Um, so even though Letty comes from money, and Victoire does as well. Yes. Um... Yeah, there's there's no issue. Financially, they're sorted, as in, like, they don't want for anything, but it's more like the attitudes that come along with if you come from old money yeah. or a lot of money that are the problem, not the actual having of having the, money the money itself. Yeah, And obviously, like, Letty and Victoire, to a degree, they don't... If they left Oxford, it wouldn't be a big deal because they have families yeah. that would take care of them. Where, 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 whereas... Rami and Robin only get that level of comfort and status as long as they follow the rules. Which is what Professor Lovell likes to hold over um, yes. Robin all the time, saying yeah. that you would be dead in a gutter, basically, yeah. if it so, wasn't for me. Aren't I a hero? And I think that, that plays back to that kind of personal circumstances versus the systemized, Not systemized, the systematic oppression and the the wider reaches of colonialism outside yeah. of like how it directly affects robin and rami yeah but yeah most um, of, most of the um like the conflict that would normally be focused on money is on race isn't it yes yes yes, yes. especially with like other students because you get them kind of being shouted at in the street and kind of told that they don't belong and to take off the robes yeah Whereas in lots of dark academia, that's usually aimed at like scholarship or poorer students. Yeah. Whereas it's just at the babblers now because being part of Babel is the only way that people of colour can attend the university, isn't it? I think so. I think so. And especially women. Yeah. And I mean, even the women, they have to dress like men in order to not be harassed a different kind of harassment to what they receive from yeah because they get full-on harassed when they are dressed as as women yeah um yeah um which is delightful Mm. um the weather as a literary device i don't think the weather ever really features much does it no not really no weather. I'm, I can't think of any. Any weather really. Maybe just the uh the fog as um Robin sails in up the Thames, like the fog kind of Oh yeah. Through the fog he uh, London appears and it's quite quite like symbolic in that sense, I guess. Mm. Um But that's um, pretty much I'll, it, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Then finally, 
We have underdeveloped social skills or the protagonist is portrayed as an outsider. And I think this is similar to the situation with old money, isn't it? Yes. Within the group? No. But as a group, they are outsiders. I think, though, also because of their uh, personal circumstances, like, especially, I think, for Robin and Rami and Victoire, like, they have to be they have to have social skills i mean they're not necessarily mm-hmm. social skills in the sense that they have great etiquette and airs and graces and what have you but they can read a room because they have to yeah yeah definitely. like they they know how to go under the radar if they have to they know how to kind of work a social interaction so that they they're not put in danger yeah yeah that their safety literally depends on them being able to have an interaction with someone who has the power to you know take away everything from them yeah basically i mean they're definitely all outsiders <laughs> yes definitely and even as a group the babblers are outsiders at oxford aren't they yeah because they're Probably so separate they are but also the only one that can actually float somewhat is letty and that's because she's white Yes. I think that's that's all of our tropes completed. Mm. With only one internet failure along the way. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to move on to criticisms and interpretation of isolated elements. Mm-hmm. Once I've had a mouthful of squash. So something that I have whinged about to you. and want to bring up is the friendship between the four of them yeah look i have i have an issue i have an issue okay (laughs) (laughs) so lots in the beginning is we are told that the friendship between robin rami victoire and letty as a group is that they have like a bonded for life type friendship but All we are is told that. We don't see it. We don't see it form. We don't see it evolve. Except just between Robbie and Rami. Robin and Rami. It's... Yeah. I never get the feeling that actually they are a bonded group in in that way. It's like they are the four students for this year. (laughs) And they are obviously going to fall together. I just think most, I think really it's because we don't see that much interaction with, because obviously Robin is our main focus, but yeah. we obviously, we, um, but he never really has that many personal interactions one-on-one with them, apart from with Rami. Um, after that, it, like after the initial kind of meeting and, with Rami, there's there is that development of a relationship of a friendship, but it's just not. It's just it's just told to us. It's like they're friends now. Yeah. Okay. There's no development Good. of that. There's no. <laughs> we don't. We don't ever watch that happen. No, exactly. We don't see it grow. We don't see it blossom. We don't see it. We see the cracks before we've seen the foundations be laid. Yes. I think. Yes. 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 So it, I also I was like, oh well. Like, I, I struggled to kind of 
be that bothered when they were kind of having arguments and stuff like it didn't have an impact i was like oh they're arguing yeah i think that lessened the impact of the betrayal of letty as well yes because she was never you know as emotionally involved in the group as we were led to believe and the yeah. same with victor victoire leaving at the end like there wasn't an emotional consequence to that because there was no emotional bond there no. in the same way i think it uh, um if it had been rami in that same situation it would have been a lot more like mm. heavier and intense but because we hadn't really seen much up until that point up until they're kind of barricaded in in the, the tower. tower yeah we don't really see any kind of interaction between Robin and Victoire that has an impact on the emotion and the uh, the re- the development of a re- of relationships of character relationships. I think until they're kind of pushed together in the tower. Yeah, until they don't have a choice. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I was I was disappointed by that because when you kind of start to see that kind of group, I especially in a novel that I'm reading to look at dark academia I'm always searching for that that group dynamic that yeah ride or die dynamic and although they were technically a ride or die dynamic it was just because that's what we were told yeah which is disappointing that that's honestly I think my biggest gripe about the whole novel yeah, I mean, for me, I do really like a character that I can that I can cling to. Yeah, which I don't feel like I had with Robin. No, um, and also a relationship that I can get behind. Not necessarily a romantic one, but even if just, it was just a firm friendship yeah, or yeah. something or a familial kind of relationship, something. Mm. Um, because that is a massive driving force uh, for characters, and maybe that just just says something about me as a person <laughs> no i'm the same but, because yeah. i'm i'm not going to become emotionally invested based on i don't know a, a university like i don't have a an emotional connection to a uni- to that university you yeah know, like, i think it's the it's the human aspect isn't yeah, it yeah like, that's it, what i was trying to say yeah the <laughs> academic aspect was developed quite intensely but the human aspect seemed to fall a little bit by the wayside not in 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 the biggest bigger uh scale obviously mm. that was considered the whole way through but on like a personal level for the implications for robin and rami and letty and victoire like we just i just needed more between them yeah. for it to have the same kind of impact i think yeah i agree i, I needed to feel for them i needed to feel yeah. something Especially when you're reading a, a book that long. Like, if yeah. I don't have a point of emotional connection, I'm very unlikely to go back to it unless I'm reading it specifically for something that I need mm. to finish it. And, yeah. I, d- I definitely don't think I would have finished it otherwise. Because I didn't particularly care about anybody. Because I didn't know anybody. I, d- I felt yeah. like... I did actually have a look. Um, and that does seem to be a common criticism criticism okay. of the novel yeah when you look at goodreads it's quite interesting it's like five star five star five star three stars didn't feel anything 
Yeah. You know, like it, it seems to be it clicks or it doesn't. I think that's, yeah, that's definitely the problem for me in that like I can, I can see it from like a, a academic and also from a moral point of view even, but yeah. I just don't feel it. It's a and very maybe clever part of that problem is because I am part of the problem. Yeah. By being white. Yeah. And British. Yeah. Like. Yeah, I did wonder that too. I didn't analyse the kind of uh, <laughs> um, how the reviews fell in that way. Yeah. But that would be interesting to look at actually. Um, but yeah, it was. It was cleverness and technically mm. great and very important. It's an important novel. The things it's saying and the things it is bringing to discussion are very Definitely. important. Just as as a novel that I am reading for enjoyment, it didn't tick the boxes for me. No, I agree. And I think also technically from a writing point of view, I really like the writing as well. Oh, pardon me. Yeah. I really like the writing as well. Um, I didn't stumble anywhere. I didn't find it difficult to read, like other than there were big kind of info dumps and uh, the pacing felt a little bit slow in places. But like mm. from a technical point of view, like the writing was five out of five. Yeah. So I, I still want to read The Poppy War. Oh, actually, yeah, me too. Which is a good sign. So it wasn't the writing. It was this specific novel you know yeah so that <laughs> that's always encouraging <laughs> um anything else that you want to talk about bring up characters there is something because when we were talking about secret societies we only really talked about babel we didn't really actually talk about hermes 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 <laughs> <laughs> so something i thought that was really interesting about this is a secret society in a novel marketed as dark academia is that the secret society opposes everything that a secret society in dark academia usually stands for. That's true. And I loved that part mm. of it. Um, it. So secret societies in dark academia normally kind of are for the top of the top of wealth and elitism. They thrive on subjugation of anyone that's not a cis man who's white and straight you know yeah and i i doubted how i was gonna say that then i was like (laughs) (laughs) um hermes is a secret society run by people of colour, people who have suffered at the hands of the British Empire and colonialism, fighting back against racism and oppression and imperialism. They are physically undermining and stealing from the empire, from wealth, and redistributing it and restructuring it to kind of fight a cause and to fuel a revolution. And I really, really liked that because that is the first time I think we've seen on the podcast that um, a secret society has been used in that way, if I'm not mistaken. Is there anything that you would like to add? 
about the novel? I don't think so. I think our meandering and tangents covered most of what I <laughs> had written down. Yeah, there's this YouTuber I watch and she calls it her squirrel moments when she goes off on a tangent and I feel like yep. we embodied Plenty that today. Yeah. yeah. So it's time for the big question. Are you ready? Yes. Is Babel Dark Academia? No. I am leaning towards a half yes. A half exactly. no. Exactly. This is probably the most difficult one. I've ever had to kind of ask that question about because the my, first I, half is dark academia yeah. but also yeah I feel like no but also I wouldn't be opposed to it being on a shelf of dark academia no same <laughs> it's basically we are undecided but if you want to be really fussy about it the first half is dark academia the second half is not because it's yeah. very much a novel of two novels. Yes. So, there we go. Official ruling. We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> don't know. don't think we've ever had a, such an indecisive ruling before. No. Don't know. Oh, dear. Never mind. <laughs> we'll let you make up your, your minds and tell us as well. Yeah. We you, like tell us, you tell us what we should think. Yeah. You, you've been on this journey with us. <laughs> you, you know the tropes. So, next up, next week, not next week, our next episode is going to focus on Hellbent by Lee Bardugo, whoop, 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 whoop. which is the first time we've ever tackled a sequel Yeah, on the podcast, and a sequel to a book that we've already read on the podcast. It's you know. exciting. It's almost meta. I like it. <laughs> so, it is the sequel to Ninth House, so I'm going to read you a summary and if you have not read Ninth House and intend to, you will be spoiled by the summary. So, three second warning before I go ahead and read the summary. Okay. Wealth, power, murder, magic. Alex Stern is back and the Ivy League is going straight to hell. Find a gateway to the underworld. Steal a soul out of hell. A simple plan, except people who make this particular journey rarely come back. But Galaxy, Alex Stern is determined to break Darlington out of purgatory, even if it costs her a future at Lethe and at Yale. Forbidden from attempting a rescue, Alex and Dawes can't call on the Ninth House for help, so they assemble a team of dubious allies to save the gentlemen of Lethe. Together they will have to navigate a maze of arcane texts and bizarre artefacts to uncover the society's most closely guarded secrets and break every rule doing it. But when faculty members begin to die off, Alex knows these aren't just accidents. Something deadly is at work in New Haven, and if she is going to survive, she'll have to reckon with the monsters of her past and a darkness built into the university's very walls. Thick with history and packed with Bardugo's signature twists, Hellbent brings to life an intricate world full of magic, violence, and all too real monsters. I'm so excited! (laughs) (laughs) Sarah is a uh, Bardugo fan, in case you were unsure by that reaction. (laughs) Finally, I feel like at least by the end of this book, we're going to have Darlington and Alex on the same page in the same timeline. Oh my god, that's all I want. Okay, that's (laughs) all I want. (laughs) Yeah, so we're both really excited for this one. So that will be with you in just two short weeks. So Mm -hmm. we post a new podcast episode 
every other Tuesday morning during our season run and there will be six episodes this season and as I said you can check and see what um, other titles we're looking at um, on the website and if you're signed up to the mailer and if you do wish to go back and sign up to the mailer it is thedarkacademicalsbookclub.substack.com and it is great it is great (laughs) (laughs) and we will also appreciate if you haven't already but do like listening to the podcast if you wanted to subscribe um to the podcast wherever it is that you listen um that really gives us a a boost when we check our stats and um if you want to leave a rating that would be absolutely lovely so thank you for listening and thank you for joining us for another season of the podcast we really appreciate it bye